I think we all assume that Gunnar Henderson will be the American League Rookie of the Year this season, but how good was he really, and can he win MVP as soon as next year? We'll discuss all that, plus take a look at Joey Ortiz's first taste of the big leagues coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Orioles fans, today is Friday, October 27th, 2023, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are continuing our season player review series, talking about Gunnar Henderson and his incredible year, and Joey Ortiz as he got his first taste of the big leagues. Paul Valley will join us in a second to talk about those two guys, but first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So we bring in Paul Valley. He's been on this podcast before. He is the host of the Bat Around over at Pressbox. He's got a friend with him here today, it looks like, as well. And Paul, uh, how are you? And welcome back to the pod. I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? I, I am doing great. You know, uh, we are recording this as people, uh, you know, I guess I can pull back the curtain. We're recording this Wednesday. People will hear this on Friday. Just got done uh, talking about the riveting Tucker Davidson acquisition. Um, but we're going to talk about a player who probably will have a bigger impact on the 2024 Orioles today. Um, and that is Gunnar Henderson, who, after kind of a slow start, pretty much lit the world on fire for the Orioles this year. I think we're all in agreement. He, in a couple of weeks here, is going to win the American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, that is going to help him out. That is going to help the Orioles out. It is going to be a, kind of a win-win for everyone, how Gunnar Henderson looked. But when you look back on the rookie season, and obviously I think you know, you'll remember the hardware that he's about to win, but what do you think is kind of the one thing you'll remember? You know, 10 years from now, when you think back on Gunnar Henderson's first full rookie season in the big leagues. He became, from the beginning of June on, the Orioles' big game player. Uh, you looked at him in the playoffs, and he had a 500 batting average, 538 on base percentage, over 1,000 OPS. He was the one guy that showed up in the biggest moments for the team all season long, and he did this at 22 years old. And as much of a team leader as Adley Rutschman is and how he signaled the turnaround for this franchise, the Orioles aren't the 2023 Orioles without Gunnar Henderson. He is that dude. Um, and for me, it was just his arrival and showing that he's worth all the accolades and all the hype that he got before the season. Yeah, the, the stats for Henderson this year, he played in 150 games. This is just in the regular season. You mentioned I mean, he was the Orioles' best player in those three games in the postseason as well. 150 games, over 600 plate appearances. He hit 255 with a 325 on base and a 489 slugging. That was an 814 OPS for Henderson. 28 home runs on the year, a 123 WRC plus with a 9% walk rate and a 26% strikeout rate. For me, what I'll remember is just kind of like how quickly he flipped the switch when it finally got going for Gunnar Henderson. Like those first six weeks of the season were not very good. Now he was still walking a lot and it was very weird. He had like a 20% walk rate. He had an on-base percentage of 341 through May 12th, 341. That's a pretty good OBP for, for a big league player, except he was, yeah, yeah, except he was hitting 170. 
He had a 310 slugging in that time, and he just looked off in that mm-hmm. stretch. And then all of a sudden, May 13th, I think he had like a one for three, and he just went on like an eight or nine game hitting streak after that. And after May 13th, 274 average, 528 slugging, 131 WRC plus. He was a completely different player after that time. And I think his season splits, Paul, are just so weird because he was like, you know, you look at him in those first six weeks and you're like, he can't hit anything, but man, he's walking a ton. And then down the stretch, he only had a 6% walk rate after May 12th, but he actually became, although his on-base percentage lowered, everything got astronomically better. And I think this is kind of what like Orioles fans talked about, and I kind of wanted to get your thought on this, but like he just needed to get more aggressive. And when mm-hmm. he did, it all seemingly worked out for him. Yeah, you know, we saw the same thing with Colton Kowser, right? Where when Kowser came up, he still had a good eye, but he just wasn't making contact. It seemed like he was guessing up there in the first month and a half to two months. It looked like Gunner was guessing a lot. So he was taking advantage of the fact that he has an elite batter's eye and taking his walks when he could until he got more comfortable at the plate. And you said from May 13th on, I believe, yeah. the numbers were, were about uh, uh, maybe a couple points better from June 1st on. Those were the numbers that I looked at with Gunner. But the walks went down because he became more aggressive at the plate. And he started hitting hell out of everything. The exit velocities were through the roof. Uh, he had the 462-foot home run on the Utah Street, the longest um, in, uh, uh, by a left-handed batter in the history of the ballpark. It, it The turnaround was stark. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And the name of the game was really just getting aggressive. And Brandon High kind of called him out on that. Um, at the beginning of the season, he said, you know, I think he needs to be more aggressive up there. I think he's being too passive at the plate. And then almost immediately he started taking better hacks and getting on base by way of the hit rather than the walk. Yeah. It's funny to look into like the, the swing decision and plate discipline numbers. Cause it's like, it's so weird to just say swing more is what got Gunnar Henderson to break out this season, but it literally was swing more in those first six weeks that I talked about through May 12th. He was only swinging at 60% of the pitches he saw in the strike zone. That hopped up to 72% for the rest of the season. He was only swinging overall 38% of the time, first six weeks. Went up to 50% for the rest of the season. He was literally just swinging more. And the cool thing was his swing and miss rate stayed the same that entire time. So even though he was swinging way more and he was swinging at more pitches in the zone, he was swinging at more pitches out of the zone too, he wasn't missing more. So it's so funny to just see a player that good and it's just like, just swing more. Like when you swing, you will do damage. And that's exactly what he did. And what also impressed me about Gunnar Henderson is how consistent he was once he kind of figured it out. I mean, that month of June was insane. We all remember what Mm -hmm. he did in June. He was one of the best players in baseball. But July, August, September, his numbers were almost identical in all three months. They were all good. And that's also why he's going to win this Rookie of the Year award, because he found it and he just stayed consistent. And you could rely on him pretty much every night to get a big hit for the Orioles. Well, yeah, and and give credit where credit's due also. I think that the hitting coaches and Brandon Hyde had a lot to do with that too. Now, look, it's up to the player ultimately to go out and do the job and and get it done. Um, But they probably went up to him and they said, look, man, just just swing. You know, if you get your pitch, you're going to do damage. And if you don't, we can live with that because you swinging at more pitches means you're putting more balls in play and you're driving the ball a lot more. You can't drive the ball if if you're not swinging at it. So credit to them. Ultimately, the credit goes to Gunner most of all because he's the one who went in there and did it. And 
you know, we kind of assumed that he was probably going to struggle a little bit at the beginning of the year because, you know, last year there was no tape on him at the big league level. So he came out, kind of hit the ground running with that big home run in his first game. Um, but you knew it was going to, the other shoe was going to drop at some point, probably the beginning of this year. But every level that he's been at, that he's played at the next year, he's improved leaps and bounds. So it was just a matter of and, and being patient with him. You know, how many people were calling for him to be sent down the middle of May? Mm-hmm. I'm one of the ones who said, you know, I don't I think he's going to be fine, but maybe you got to send him down just to get him you know, more confident like they did with Grayson Rodriguez. Glad they didn't because he turned into the best player on the team. Yeah. The one thing that I think we could say, Gunnar Henderson still has some ways to go, is hitting against left-handed pitchers. And a lot of great left-handed hitters struggle with that early in their careers. This is not a new thing for a good lefty to struggle against left-handers early. Against righties, hit 272. 25 of his 28 homers came against righties. Against lefties, hit 209, 75 WRC+. Now, the good thing is strikeout numbers, pretty similar versus righties and lefties. So it's not like every time he went up there against lefties, it's a K, but the quality of contact, pretty much everything else, the power was all kind of zapped against left-handers. Now he's only 22, but I wonder like, how much do you worry versus how much are you confident? You know, that's going to be his number one thing. He works on this off season and it'll get better next year. I'm confident that that guy can do anything he wants on the baseball field. I mean, we saw it. Um, we saw it last year in the minor leagues. We saw it this year at the big league level, not to mention the fact that you've got a team that has DL hall and John means on it. Uh, he's going to get opportunities to face both those guys in spring training and in off-season workouts. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the main things that he works on, and I, I have no doubts that – I don't know that he's ever going to hit 300 against left-handed pitching, but I have no doubts that he can get those numbers uh, up to the point where you don't worry about it anymore. He's already proven, and Brandon Hyde proved that he trusts him to be uh, an everyday player. So, you know, you're going to live and die with him, and I honestly just believe that at some point he's going to get get – to that level where you're not thinking about him against lefties at all. Yeah, it, it was really against lefties. And then the only way righties could get him out, you kind of looked at his hot zones up and in righties could mm-hmm. throw fastballs up and in. And he just could not get to that pitch, but it's so funny that he was so good that we're like nitpicking two things. Like he faces way more righties than lefties. And it's got to be a good righty to get a fastball up and in, because if it's too far mm-hmm. up and in, he's got a good enough eye where he will lay off of it and it will be a ball up and in. So they got to get it in that quadrant to get him. He was just so good this year. Now, we'll talk about his defense a little bit later because I want to kind of talk about how he fits positionally with other infielders coming up. But I I did want to give you this chance to make a prediction here. Gunnar Henderson makes his first all-star team in this year, fill in the blank. And Gunnar Henderson wins his first MVP in this year, fill in the blank. Oh, man. Um, All-star 2024. He's he's going to be an all-star. I don't think there's any doubt as my dog climbs into my lap. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be an all-star in 2024, just like we had no doubt that Adley would be this past year. Um, MVP, uh, Connor, you know, I think he's going to get him. I wouldn't um, – let me rephrase it. I would not be surprised if he got a, a handful of MVP votes this year because of how good he was, how he was the best player on the best team in the American League. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets a handful of votes this year. Shohei's not going to be pitching next year Um, off the top of my head. And this always eludes me until I hear somebody's name. I don't know that you have many other guys that are really front runners for the MVP in the American league. Probably. He's probably the the one guy right there. Corey Seager. That's probably, probably your guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Corey Seager, maybe Raphael Devers. If he gets that batting average up, like it had been before this year. Uh, But if Shohei's not pitching, 
he's going to be in the conversation in 2024. I don't know that he's going to win it. Um, I think it's going to take a repeat performance from the Orioles. And while I think they'll be better overall, I don't know that they're going to have the same record or a better record in 2024. So I'll say he wins his first MVP in 2026. I'll say 2024 for the all-star game too. I just think like the trajectory is there. He's going to make it. I'll say 27 for the MVP. And I think it's because Shohei is a Dodger by then. He is out of the American League. And because of that, um, you know, Gunner just gets his chance that season. I, I do have a feeling, though, that at some point before his career is over, he is going to be a most valuable player. Like he's just he's just too talented to not win that award. But, yeah, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're talking shortstops on this episode. And coming up next, we're going to get to one who uh, obviously played way less than Gunnar Henderson did and honestly made much less of an impact than Gunnar Henderson did. But he is Joey Ortiz, and, and he's got kind of an interesting question for him heading into next year. And he's really in an interesting spot on this Orioles roster, and we will get to him coming up right after this. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Jace Medical. Jace Medical is there for you when you need them. They've got the Jace case. That is their number one product. And the Jace case is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case to add additional life-saving medications based on unique needs. And even if you got your own, you want to get one for someone else, you can buy a gift card for family or loved one so they can get a Jace case of their own. So go to jacemedical.com and enter the code locked on at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. That is promo code locked on at jasemedical.com. So we're here with Paul Valley of the Bat Around. He covers all things Orioles every Saturday morning over at Pressbox. Make sure to go check out that show. I happen to be on it on Saturday morning, talking a lot of uh, Major League Baseball in general, but we talked a little Orioles at the end as well. But, Paul, we talked about Gunnar Henderson. We know for 100% he will be in the Orioles lineup, you know, barring any injury every single day next season. Now, a little bit later in the pod, we're going to talk about what position he might be mostly playing. But one guy that could maybe factor into that, maybe, maybe not as much as Jackson Holiday, but maybe, is Joey Ortiz, who did get his first taste of the big leagues in 2023. I think he probably played less than people thought he would at the big league level this year. And there was a multitude of reasons for that, but this is, you know, much harder to answer than the Gunnar Henderson. What were you remember from 2023? Cause there wasn't a lot of moments for Ortiz at the big league level, but you can include triple a, you can include just kind of the conversation around him. Like if someone says Joey Ortiz, 2023, if anything, what will you remember from the season? Um, how disappointing it was that he got hurt in spring training because I think he had an opportunity to get some serious playing time, uh, especially with Jorge Mateo struggling after the first month of the season. I think the injury really um, impacted Ortiz's ability to to stick at the big league level this year. Uh, And when he did um, look, when he did get to play, he didn't, he didn't swing the bat all that particularly well. I think he's got great bat speed and I think he finds a way to put, to put the bat on the ball more often than not. Uh, but he's also one of those guys who takes a little bit of seasoning at each level before he really gets going. Um, I'm getting a little long winded with a simple question. Um, but yeah, the injury in spring training setting him back, I think really ruined a big opportunity for him. So that's probably what I remember the most. Yeah. And there were a couple injury things. There were some illness things that kept him out even while he was in Norfolk, like kept him from playing in AAA. Like even though he only played 15 games at the big leagues, he only played 88 games in Norfolk because he missed some time down there as well. Now his big league stats 
15 games. It was basically parts of April, May, and June when he was up with the team and, and was never playing every day. He was more like in the lineup a little bit against some lefties when they had, you know, Mateo struggling and some guys injured. But he got 34 plate appearances, hit 212, 206 on base, 242 slugging, one extra base hit, right? It didn't really show a lot of power. It was a 17 WRC plus, not very good. Um, he struck out a lot and did not draw a walk in any of his 34 plate appearances. Like, mm. again, that is a crazy small sample size. Yeah. That is for any player like a week and a half of, of sample size of games, but he didn't show a lot where it was like, Hey, maybe we keep him around for a little bit longer. Now we know how good the glove is, right? He played second. He played third. He played short. He looks good defensively at all those positions. And that's what he has been billed as since he's been in the Oriole system. Now, when he did play in AAA, Paul, he was good as usual. Mm -hmm. Hit 321, almost 400 plate appearances, 885 OPS, had nine homers, walked a little, didn't strike out a lot. Like we know he can handle the bat at that level. But this is going to sound like I'm putting the tinfoil hat on, but this is something I've talked about a little bit this year. When Joey Ortiz came up in April, he just did not get the fanfare from the Orioles that a lot of the other top prospects have got. You know, they get the hype video. They get the little video of Buck Britton telling them they're going to the big leagues. They get a legitimate number and not a spring training number. When Joey Ortiz came up, I think he wore 65. He just got activated to the roster one day and nobody really said anything. He played sparingly and went back to AAA for good. Now, that doesn't mean that the Orioles don't see him as a piece, but it tells me a little bit one of two things. One is they don't put him up to the level of the Kerstad Kowser type prospects or two, they weren't really expecting to bring him up this April, but just some injury things made them do it. I, I wonder your thoughts on like when he came up and how it was all presented this season. I think it's, he was brought up out of necessity. Um, and you also have to remember that guys like Kowser, Kerstad, um, uh, Gunner, all those guys that got called up, first round or second round draft picks, right? Uh, even in the case of Kyle Stowers, um, Jordan Westberg, uh, first round or second round draft picks. Joey Ortiz is a fourth round draft pick out of New Mexico State, right? So for them, and they probably view him right now as a utility infield. Now it's up to him to change their mind on him, but how much fanfare are you giving to a utility infielder in right. your mind? So for him... Uh, it was probably out of necessity. I think that maybe he had been in their plans anyway at some point during spring training until he got hurt. So they probably figured there's no need for the fanfare. Now, if he had shot up and become, you know, as a fourth round draft pick, a top 10 in baseball prospect, yeah, he's getting the fanfare. He's a top 100 prospect on just about every list you look at, but he's not in the same conversation as the other guys that got that fanfare. And that's just a fact right now. So I don't read into it as more than anything than what it was. He's a utility guy that got called up. If, you know, we're having a similar conversation a year from now at the end of 2024 and Joey Ortiz is, is still on the team and played somewhat of a significant role with the 2024 Orioles. What would you say happened to make that happen? Was it he just, you know, balled out in spring training or balled out early in AAA and got the call? Somebody got injured. Somebody else got dealt. Like, what do you think would be the main factor that gives him, I won't say every day at bats because they're going to be tough to come from in the infield, but gives mm -hmm. him like a regular spot on the roster for most of next year? It honestly wouldn't surprise me at all. I think he's got an inside track to be a utility infielder coming out of spring training. Uh, they know that the gloves, that the gloves elite. So for me, if, if, you're telling me at the end of the, at the end of the 2024 season he plays a significant role on this Orioles team. 
I, I expect it. Um, if, and then we're getting to that in a bit, if he's not traded, I expect it because I believe in his glove and I think that the bat can at least play a bench role at the big league level. So for me, it's not this happened or that happened. To me, it's he earned it by just going up and playing every day and showing his ability. Yeah, I think there would have to be something that would give him that chance early, some injury maybe. But I think later, I think you're right. Just showing his skill set like by the second half of the season could get him into that role. So let's just get into kind of the thing that's, that's I think, over everyone's heads and Joey Ortiz's head right now. What do you do with him this offseason? Because there's no like force to trade him, right? Like he's right. on the 40-man roster. He's got plenty of time before he would ever become a free agent. And although he, you know, is is competing with other infielders, it's not like you can't start him back in Norfolk next year. Like there's nothing stopping you from putting him back in Norfolk. Heck, he even missed some time this year, and maybe it would be beneficial to, you know, get a little more time in AAA. And it's also a prospect, so you, you you wouldn't say this, you know, you'd say this maybe about a guy like, you know, who's going into his final year of, you know, arbitration before free agency. Like, oh, they might have to trade him because, you know, they're not going to get anything for him and not re-sign him. This is different. This is a prospect who feels like if you dealt him, you would have ways to replace him. You have a guy named Jackson Holiday. He sounds pretty good at baseball. But... Like, how would you approach, if you're Mike Elias, how do you approach the Joey Ortiz thing this offseason? Like, what would you put the chances of that he's in another uniform in spring training? Better than 50-50. Because I think that Joey Ortiz, if given the amount of, given the opportunity, could start at shortstop for like half the teams in baseball. I really believe that. The, the glove is so good. And I think that the bat will come around enough by midseason that he could be an everyday player for half the teams in the league for the Orioles. There's no shot at that. Unless somebody gets hurt, there's no shot at that. He's going to be a utility infielder for them. So if they can trade him to a, a shortstop needy team or an infield needy team, that's going to give, that's going to get them some kind of starting pitching. Then I think he gets traded. And I, and we talked about it on the show on Saturday. I don't think that the Orioles are, going to be big players in free at the top of the free agent market. I think if a starting pitcher is coming to this team, it's through a trade. And I think that Joey Ortiz could be a central figure in that trade. So for me, I'd like to see him stay on the Orioles because I, I believe in him, but I think it's probably 60, 40, maybe 65, 35 that he's a, a big piece of a trade to get some starting pitching. I could see this being the case for Joey Ortiz next year. I think there is a one-on-one -on -one battle between Joey Ortiz and Ramon Arias. Mm -hmm. One will win the utility infield role, maybe not out of spring training, but could be out of spring training and have that role. And the other one will be traded, not just, you know, not make the team, not just end up in AAA, will be traded to help the pitching staff in some way. Mm -hmm. I just think Ortiz is a big league player. I don't know how good of one, but I think he is a big league player. And I also, you know, we've seen the ceiling on Ramon Arias. It's not like this is a dude who's going to hit 20 homers and hit 300. Like we, we know what he is as a hitter. Mm -hmm. I think there's only room for one. Yeah, and I, agree. I do think that the other one would have enough value to get you something in return. And I think that's kind of how the Orioles might play this. So I, I'm not ready to make a prediction like they're going to trade Ortiz or they're going to trade Arias, but I do feel like one of them will be dealt this offseason. I think that might clear up a lot and hopefully also bring back some talent pitching wise for the Orioles. But kind of the last question here, and I've actually gotten this a couple of times for a mailbag, but I saved it for this conversation. Gunnar Henderson. One of the reasons I think why he wasn't a gold glove finalist is because he split time this year between 
shortstop and third base. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of speaking of shortstop, Joey Ortiz could factor into that position. But coming up next to finish it off with Paul here, we're, we're going to talk about where does Gunnar Henderson play next year? And will he find one role on the infield for the entirety of the season? But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Ibotta. How does free Thanksgiving sound? This year, Ibotta is here to give you cash back and help make sure your Thanksgiving table is complete. Because who wants turkey without the gravy? Starting November 1st, for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Just add the offers in the app to redeem for everything you need to make your Thanksgiving feast complete. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. That's the same Ibotta that gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So download the Ibotta app now and use code MLB to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code MLB. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code MLB. So we're back here with Paul Valley. He is the host of the Bat Around over at PressBox. Him and Zach Goodman, who will be on this podcast next week, talk all things Orioles every Saturday morning. And Paul, I want to finish out this kind of Gunnar Henderson and Joey Ortiz 2023 season conversation by also looking forward to 2024. Gunnar Henderson played a lot of innings at shortstop and a lot of innings at third base. It was more third base early in the year when Jorge Mateo looked like he might be an all-star. That ended at the end of April, as we know, and Gunnar Henderson, once he started hitting in late May, started playing a lot more shortstop down the stretch. Now, that wasn't to say he played all shortstop. We still saw Mateo against lefties play short, and he was honestly somewhat productive against left-handers. Even though he was a complete disservice to the lineup against a righty, he could still get on against lefties, and Gunnar struggled a bit, so he was still in there, usually at third base. Going into next year, I wouldn't say it's guaranteed that Jorge Mateo is off the roster because he still provides something, Mm -hmm. but it's getting tougher and tougher for Jorge Mateo to hold a spot. You have Joey Ortiz knocking on the door. You have certainly Jackson Holiday knocking on the door. And Connor Norby does not want anyone to forget about his name as well. And I do think that even with Adam Frazier gone here, the Orioles, I don't think, are opposed to bringing in a veteran, maybe not infielder, but at least utility type who could play the infield as well. So looking to next year, with all those factors, do you think Gunnar Henderson finds a home at one position, or do you think his season looks again like it did this year, where any given night he could be at short or at third base? Oh, man. See, that one, that, that one's tough because Brandon Hyde likes to have that, that, that flexibility, that defensive versatility, right? But at the same time, he's the best player on the team. And you know he wants to play shortstop. You kind of, you know, give way to the best player on the team and let him play the position that he wants to play, especially when you look at um, he split time between – pretty much even time between shortstop and third base last year. And according to baseball reference and fan graphs, 10 defensive runs saved at shortstop, four at third base. I think you let him be your starting shortstop. If it's me, I think you let him be your starting shortstop. Um at the beginning of the year, I do think he gets plenty of, of uh, time over at third base because Brandon Hyde likes to match up and he likes to have those situations where he has that versatility. Um, but I think that he's going to get two, two to one starts at shortstop compared to third base. And I think he's earned that. I think that will happen. 
I think it might be a, for a little different reason. I think that two to one split will kind of be what it is, but mm-hmm. I think it will be because whether Mateo's still here or Ortiz takes a jump, or maybe there's another right-handed hitting infielder that the Orioles bring in. I think there will be someone on this team next year, and I'm not sure who it is quite yet. Could be Mateo, could be Ortiz, could be Norby, could be someone else from outside who really hits lefties, like mm-hmm. a better version of a Hanser Alberto, where he is just on your team because you know he's going to hit left-handers and he can play multiple infield spots and maybe play the outfield as well. Like maybe a, a Brandon Drury type player ends up on this team. Where against lefties, I wouldn't say Brandon Drury specifically, but it's a guy who can play shortstop and maybe goes in there at short against a lefty, like Mateo did this year, and shifts Henderson over to third. And then when it's against a righty, he's back in there at shortstop. I do think, though, by the end of the year, a player like that is not going to be like an everyday player. And that player will get phased out a bit to where I think by the end of next season, it's just you pencil in Gunnar Henderson at shortstop every single day. Because those defensive numbers you mentioned, he's better at short. He's good at third, but he's better at short. He got through some of those throwing issues he was having early in the season. And he was just like locked down, scooping everything up, making the great plays, making the easy plays at shortstop. And and I think the end of this conversation is just like, he's going to be on this team. He's going to be in this lineup every day. He's going to play shortstop. He's, you know... It's hopefully Manny Machado 2.0, except one that sticks around for more than the rookie contract and, uh, you know, and stays healthier as well. But uh, it's just incredible to have Gunnar Henderson on this team. And and it's great that the question mark going into next year is not, you know, can he take a step forward? It is, will he play more short or third? He'll be good either way, but will he play more short or third? But Paul, thank you so much for joining me on this episode to talk a lot of Gunnar Henderson, but a little Joey Ortiz as well, because we know he certainly could be a piece of this team next year before we go just kind of let everybody know where they can find you and specifically where they can find the show uh if you're watching the twitter handle it's right down there at paul valley the third uh if you're listening at paul valley the third it's uh, at paul valley iii uh on twitter um we're on the bat around every saturday from 10 a.m to noon um at press box you can find us on pressboxonline.com slash radio uh facebook.com slash pressbox sports or uh youtube.com slash pressbox online uh, i'm sorry pressbox sports so um we're accessible we're always around you can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcast and pretty much anywhere you want to try to find us online otherwise so that was Paul Valley of the Bat Around. We thank him so much for joining us. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back on Monday morning. Little mailbag Monday episode on the pod. Make sure to get your mailbag questions in. You can email us, lockedonorioles at gmail.com. You can leave them in the YouTube comments right here. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. You can also tweet us at Locked On Orioles with those mailbag questions. Back to answer those questions on Monday's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day.